one of the things we would pat ourselves on the back for is to continue to do what we represent we're going to do. And that's very, very, very hard. It's actually quite draining in many ways to come in and see a down day after down day, or admittedly they're small down days, but it, the, the cumulative effect uh, can be hard. We can pat ourselves on the back because we did have what it takes to continue. Hello, this is Christopher Cruden from uh, Inch Capital Management based in Lugano, Switzerland. I'm the CEO of the company and um, you're about to hear my end of year review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome back, Chris, for this review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategies. I want to explore both the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaways from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general. But as we know, just because you're systematic in your trading, it doesn't mean necessarily that your strategy deals with the market events in a similar way. But I want to just jump right into it, Chris. So tell me a little bit about 2014 from your perspective. How did the year evolve for your firm and for your strategies? Well, for the strategy and uh, for the for the currency program, it was undoubtedly a disappointment. It was our second uh, losing year in 14 years. And um, given the fact that we've been so accustomed to making money, that, that came as a bit of a surprise to us. Sure. Uh, January 2014, I think, was the main culprit. Now, what the exact reason for that is, I don't know. But in that month, we lost 2.41% on an ungeared basis. Um, nothing really... Uh, dramatic happened to us for the rest of the year, but we did end the year down a total of 3.16, which by our measure is, as I say, a disappointment. Sure. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're specialized in one sector, unlike many other CTA strategies. But when you look inside, you know, the various crosses you trade or the various currencies you trade, which ones stood out as sort of the biggest contributors, both in on the positive side and, and the negative side? Um, the, the, the way our system is calibrated is, is very interesting, uh, and that is to say uh, that there aren't any great heroes and there aren't any great villains, generally speaking. Sure. And if there were, we would be concerned about that. Uh, what we find is small, other than January, small uh, remorseless losses on a monthly basis, which become very, very tiresome indeed. Uh, so there's not one big bad guy and not one good guy. But uh, given the fact that we had held up, uh, you say it's a good year for systematic traders, and, and it was 2014, um, the preceding couple of years had not been good at all. But it was okay for us. We had held up remarkably well, considering um, what we do and how we do it, and some of our peers held up less well. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, we would describe 2014 as the year in which the crown slipped. 
<laughs> sure. But I mean, you're absolutely right. And this is the whole point about diversification. I mean, certain strategies uh, thrive in certain environments and, 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 and so on and so forth. So uh, I, I completely agree with that. Um, given the fact that you call it a slight disappointment, I wanted to just just ask you a little bit about and, and maybe you can remind uh, the listeners in any event in terms of maybe sort of the underlying strategies inside the program, you know, trend following could be one, but there may be others. Um, which ones or were, were there anything where you felt we could have done this a little bit better? Uh, do you look at the year like that or is, not, is that not really the way to, to look at it when you, when you look inside? Uh, look, looking back is um, is not a particularly profitable um, sure. activity. It's uh, what what should we have done? Well, we should have faded the system at twice the gearing. It would be up eighteen percent, but we didn't. So, unfortunately, we are where we are. Uh, we are where we are in the main. To answer your your, your question specifically, uh, because although it had been a condition that existed for a, for a, for a number of recent years, low volatility. Uh, finally uh, affected even us in the in the currency markets. As I say, we held up well previously, um, but low volatility uh, finally did for us. Now, if you look at the the four basic inputs for a systematic system, and there are others, but let's just use some some basic. Definitions: You have purchasing power that doesn't really work. Vol works sometimes, and other times you get stretched out dead. And then there is trend slash momentum uh, type straight breakout system or something like that. And then there is the carry trade, which sure. used to be used to be called the um, interest rate differential. Yes. Um, the carry trade is for us, and I assume for most other people who do what we do the way that we do it is the, the major contributor. Uh, interest rate differential um, is obviously and clearly and uh, demonstrably been the, the, the main driver of currency management returns over the years. With interest rates at basically zero or thereabouts, central banks keeping it that way in a sort of combined and coordinated manner, the carry trade has all but disappeared. Um, now, that for people like us, uh, or for us specifically, was problematic uh, last year for others in the preceding years. Um, and it finally caught up with us in 2014. But um, we're sort of looking at our program with two major inputs, what we would call a momentum or trend, and the carry. Carry doesn't exist. So we've been hopping along for a, a couple of years now, uh, as have most other people in, in our business who do things our way. Sure. Given the fact that we obviously saw some volatility expansion in the currencies towards the end of the year, we certainly saw some trends uh, coming in at the end of the year. Did you still see now it may have been swamped by other things, but did you still see uh, sort of um, expected return from your your trend based models uh, and 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 volatility models, perhaps. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It did. Uh, it was quite encouraging towards the end of the year. September, for example, was was a a, a, a very good month for us. In that January was down two point four one. September was up one point two one, and again December was a was a was a pretty positive month as well. So um, there is a lot. To, uh, of encouragement to be taken, uh, and indeed this year has started off um, 
very positively as well. And with with a, a bit of good fortune and a f- following wind, we can hold on to what we've made so far in January 2015. Sure, absolutely. Now, one of the things uh, that I think many listeners uh, will remember the year from is really some of the events that we saw, you know, Ukraine, Russia, and of course, the the oil collapse and, and of course, not trading commodities specifically in the program. Still, these events uh, have had some uh, impact on the currency sector. If you're going to put a few words on how you could say you reacted or how these events um, either specifically for the strategy evolved or just generally how, because I think the problem is many people when they hear these um, stories or, or, or hear in the news about events like Russia and oil, very often it has a negative um impact uh, because traditional investment strategies uh, may have been hurt by these uh, events but that doesn't necessarily happen in 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 the alternative space where where we operate so are you able to put a few words on 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 the year as such when you look at the events that we all remember yeah there's a couple of of, of things obviously the interest rate um situation is something i've 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 mentioned yeah um that is unfavorable to us but hasn't dramatically changed during 2014 from the start to finish. So that hasn't uh, uh, been a major factor. It's not something we could use as an excuse, sure. uh, if you will. Sure. Um, the, the energy energy has been uh, very interesting to us in that uh, those uh, commodity-based currencies, uh, specifically Canada and to, to some extent Australia as well, have... Um, shown movements that in the environment, all things being equal, if there hadn't been an energy uh, uh, situation, that, that, that those moves might not have taken place. But we're not in any sense predictive. Um, what we, we, The only thing we know is, is what we don't know. And the future is one of the things we don't know. So when we look at what what might happen? Um, we're sort of the, the scaredy cat guys. We, we're not out there making big bets, so our um, leverage is very low. So people often talk to people like us or people who do things the way we do and say, "Yes, what? What if? What? What? An, what if such and such an event happens?" Sure. Um, as if we and and our type are the only pers- people who are sort of um, exposed to that sort of risk. Well, the reality is we're all exposed to that sort of risk. Um, none of us can tell the future, no matter what we might imply. So uh, betting small remaining uh, with low leverage is a good way to, to, to mitigate that risk. We are trend followers. We're not event players. Um, if you told me that the Bundesbank was going to do something or the ECB was going to do something else, then that would be interesting information. But I wouldn't – I have to con- confess I wouldn't exactly know what to do with that information, nor would I know when to stop doing that information. I assume you wouldn't call me and tell me that either. <laughs> so um, we do what we do in a highly disciplined and systematic way, and the statistical evidence is that over time we make a substantial return for our investors and don't expose them to particularly substantial risk, given the, um, the the rate of returns that have historically been 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 offered. Sure, sure. Now 
you know, being it uh, sort of a year end and, and, and often that's the time where we uh, both in business and in life, we sit down and we reflect on the good and the bad and the experiences we've had during the year. What is your highlight from 2014? Now, I know, again, you said, you know, it was disappointing from a uh, performance point of view and, and it was the second uh, uh, losing year, but out of 14. So I think we need to put that into perspective. But given that it was the second losing year and you've had few of them before, did you learn anything from this? I mean, to me, this would be a year where you could perhaps actually, you know, learn something uh, new about the strategy. Trading the way we do um, takes uh, uh, a great deal of discipline. It is in, if you've got a trading system uh, and you follow the trading system, then that's one thing. If you've got a trading system and continually change it, then you have to question or investors should question whether you've got a system at all. Sure. One of the things we would pat ourselves on the back for here is to continue to do what we represent we're going to do right and that's very 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 hard it's uh, it's actually quite um draining in 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 many ways to come in and see a down day after down day or admittedly there's small down days but the cumulative effect yeah it can be hard we can pat ourselves on the back because we did have what it takes to continue Mm. um because what was happening was within the envelope of what we could expect, mm. not what we want, but but be, what we expect. Sure. Now, my guess is, and I don't know that this is the case, but my guess is, because I don't know what other people do, but uh, if you style yourself as a systematic trend follower in currencies, and most people in currencies tend to do that, if, if you did well or particularly well in 2014, or for that matter, since 2010, um, I, for one, would question, first of all, if you are, in fact, a systematic technical trend follower, because there haven't been many um, coins on the railroad tracks to pick up. So if you have made a lot of money, I'd I'd say, well, okay, I know what you're doing, but it's not the same as what we do, and I, in fact, do know what we do. Um, the other thing is for investors, and this is quite difficult and dangerous, I suppose, is that people, managers, sometimes lose confidence in themselves or because of their high gearing or high losses or expectation or inability to raise money based on the last couple of months, couple of years performance, they change their system. And as I said, if you change your system, investors are perfectly within their rights to ask if you've got a system at all. Um, as I say, if there's one thing we can be sort of through gritted teeth um, happy about, it is that we did stay the course. And it begins to look, certainly from September through to close a play on Friday, that um, we're beginning to see the rewards for that. Sure. Absolutely. Which, which makes us measurable to investors. Yeah. Because, you know, are you doing what you say you do and what you've done in the past? Because otherwise I'm just looking at some gobbledygook numbers. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a good point, uh, Chris. And, and, and it, I think it is an interesting uh, conundrum because it, it is the 
the fact that a lot of investors, uh, they don't want change because they, as you say, they, they want to know what they bought. But at the same time, they require research and innovation to take place. And those two are not necessarily compatible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you have a big research team, um, you know, obviously, if they find something, you would expect to implement it. Yeah. Uh, now, I think, of course, the the explanation, the dialogue and all of those things are then crucial. Um, but it does mean that and this is why I asked that question in our normal conversations uh, and that is how should we read a track record it is very difficult it's very difficult unless you um, you know one of the things we do is and I, I we've had success with this because we we don't do marketing per se or what marketing we do do we, we tend to do extraordinarily badly but um, what we do do is if people have an interest or uh, is we'll run one of these um, one of these demo accounts on for them at whatever gearing they they, they want to see yeah. so they can actually see and, and this is quite important i think especially for um for currency managers because people do as you say have the perception that we're standing up shouting at each other in trading rooms and and, and with lots of telephones and all of that sort of thing and that is is um a far cry from from what actually takes place at least the way we and, and most others, uh, I assume, do it. So um, f if they can actually see what the trades are, what size they are, what risk is actually being taken, that is a, is a comforter. Um, and I'm, I don't know, but I, I would imagine other people do that too. But it is something that I think, especially in bad times, calms the investor. I want to deviate a little bit from my script here um, because uh, because you're an expert in currencies. I, ha I have a question for you. The ruble, I know you don't trade it as far as I'm aware, but you obviously are, uh, I'm sure, familiar with uh, what happened last year and, and, and the weakness of the ruble. But, you know, I use it as an example for something that could well happen in uh, other currencies. I mean, the ruble is not necessarily a small currency. It certainly relates to a big country. So I think it could be relevant. Now, what I heard coming into the end of last year was some very unfortunate things for currency managers who trade the ruble because some uh, market participants, some, uh, you know, uh, banks or brokers where they trade, that, that they trade with suddenly stopped providing uh, trading, uh, what do you say, market making or whatever we call it in the ruble. And essentially these guys were, uh, you know, forced to close out positions at the worst possible time. How do, when you deal with currencies that are not necessarily traded on exchange and where, you know, you could have big moves like we saw last year, how should investors and how do you as a manager um, take that kind of risk into account? Well, for us, we stay well clear of it. Yeah. Um, uh, it. It's just not the game we're remotely interested. Now, having said that, it is true that over the, I can now say, decades, we've done a substantial amount of research into the, the so-called emerging or submerging currencies, depending on how you want to style them. Sure. Um, and we have, this is one of our failures, have been unable to come up with a sufficiently robust uh, strategy that can be systematically and continuously applied that would produce acceptable uh, risk return profile in those currencies. Now, I'm not saying other people can't do it and they're highly successful and I hope they are, but overshadowing what our research has come up with, I remember when I first came into this business, which was 
shortly after Queen Victoria died, um, they used to teach us seven things that you had to know about uh, or had to exist in a market. And those first ones, liquidity, transparency, and the third was market integrity. I, I confess I've forgotten the other sure, four. Sure, sure. That's fine. But that, that's, that's, those were the top three. Well, liquidity and transparency, I, they're not there when you need them most. Right. In those sorts of currencies. And um, if you didn't know that before and have had to learn the hard way with other people's money, well, I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, that probably wasn't a smart thing to do uh, because this is basic stuff. This isn't hard. Market integrity? I don't know. Russia is a country that defaulted, what, in 98? Sure. Uh, people queue up to throw more money at it. It's a basically command-controlled economy. Um it's not the sort of place I'd want to go. Sure. No, no, I take your point, and, and it is very important. Now, just tell me a little bit about 2014 from, and I know you say you don't market yourself, which is which is true, but not true on, on the other hand, I think, um, uh, because you do explain what you do very well, uh, in my opinion. Um, but tell me about the conversations that you might have had during the year with investors or potential investors, given Generally, I think people who invest with your strategy are probably also invested in the more, say, traditional CTA space, which uh, had a had a very substantial year uh, in 2014. Do you sense that the conversations with clients or potential clients, did that change during the year because of that? Um uh, yes, to, to to the extent that our, our clients, because they tend to have been with us for a very long period of time, mm. um, and they they understand because they are in the main currency um, investors rather than fund of funds who've got all sorts of different things going on. They are they are specialists in the same extent that that, that we ourselves are. So they understand what's going on. Um, other investors and potential investors. Uh, and allocators, I suppose, is what we're talking about here. I, I discern have become more and more shrill and slightly more desperate, mm. and that's understandable um, because the equity markets are—I'm not an equity specialist, so I wouldn't say—but it, it looks awfully tall from here. <laughs> and I, you know, trees grow very tall, but they don't reach the sky. And this one's getting up in the clouds, sure. I think. So, and I think most people realize that. The, um, the the fixed income markets, the bond markets, again, I'm not a fixed income specialist, but it seems to me that writing a buy ticket for bonds is like writing a suicide note. And mm. I just don't think that's a good idea. So they're desperately looking for things. And when they talk to us, what they're looking for, like all investors, kind of like retail investors in a way, mm. is they're looking for some guy that has special insight. Mm. Some guy that knows something, some guy who's got the hot hand, and that's not us. And we we lead off with that. <laughs> that's not us. Um, but I, I I have found that they are becoming ever more um, sort of graspy and desperate. Is that too strong sure. a word? I don't know. Um, but they they because they've done so well in fixed income. Accident every generation, uh, bond managers make money. I mean. For heaven's sake, <laughs> despite themselves, they tend to. But again, the reason that they do has nothing to do with them. Um, equity managers have been given an enormous boost by the central banks and QE and that sort of thing. Um, but what do they do for their next trick? I don't know. 
Um, and I think investors now realize that and they're becoming slight, not panic perhaps, but you know, where's our next thing? And they don't know enough about alternative investments because they haven't had to. It's been fixed income and equities for the last five years. Yeah. So um, now it's all a bit sudden, but now they're getting it a bit toppy and uh, maybe a bit more concerned. And, and you, I think that's palpable. Sure. Now, I mean, speaking about that person who has uh, quote unquote insight and, and the special one, I mean, often these people appear in the in the mainstream media. And I don't mean this in a negative way to, towards the person I'm going to mention now, because he, I, I believe, has, uh, you know, a, a very solid uh, foundation uh, in, in this. Uh, and that is Mohammed El Arian, yeah. because I noticed that he uh, was on the CNBC a couple of weeks ago. And he basically said something like this. If I could sum up the world in one word, it would be divergence. Now, you and I know that a lot of hedge fund strategies, which are very popular and has been very popular, um, they thrive in a convergent environment, not necessarily a divergent environment. And so I, I want to, because convergence, I think, uh, or in this case, uh, divergence, um, is not just about the markets. It's also politically. It's also uh, from what the central banks are doing. So given the fact that you trade currency, so you see this coming uh, in, in different directions, I, I just want to ask you, what do you think it means for... Uh, or what potentially could it mean for the investment world and especially the alternative investment world if Mohammed El Arian is right about this, that, that actually the world is becoming so divergent for the first time in a long time? Well, this is a good and, and clever question. Um, it, it sort of loops back to what we said at the very outset. Uh, one of the great drivers for our business, and as I say, we're not unique, so other people who do the similar sort of thing to us, has been the carry trade, yeah. which of course is a form of divergence writ large. So that sort of divergence, if 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 he's right, uh, would be, one would assume, um, good for what we do and people like us do. How it would work for other people, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I can see that it wouldn't be hugely positive for, say, long-short strategies. Um, I don't think there's going to be a divergence in fixed income. I think that's just that's just down. Sure. Um, for me, I I didn't see the interview, but based on what you've you've described, he said, I would say that that could and and should be positive for people like us sure but i guess in certainly in my own personal opinion what i think what what it does mean is that a lot of investors uh, in the hedge fund alternative investment area need to perhaps rethink their allocation which is you know currently as morgan stanley uh you know came out saying about you know, certainly the allocation to ctas uh you know must be very very small at the moment because only two percent expected that it would be the best strategy to be in in 2014 and clearly you know you know they were 98 were wrong um so 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 in my mind at least it must mean that there's you know some potential allocations that needs to uh, to change direction i very much agree with that i mean you you these big firms and who basically they they they, they pay the light bill with their trading desks in equities fixed income and various other things um 
I, I love to hear their views on CTAs. I, I suppose to some extent we would be regarded as a CTA. And I notice that in terms of allocations and the recommendations they make to their clients, they are always the typical sort of day late dollar short in the wrong place type type investors. Yeah. Uh, in the CTA community, which is where I, I suppose, um, started off long time ago um is that one of the, it, it as an asset class and I, if, if if it is an asset class and some probably still don't regard it as such it, it's one of those that you you might not want to bet on but it would be wrong to bet against yeah and that's i think the uh, the story for 2014 it was the story um after when the financial crisis began um and um the 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 dexterity of commodity trading advisors and the instruments they use um, is not to be underestimated at all. Sure. Now, on that note, and I'm almost done for our short conversation today, but I just want to to uh, home in on what you just mentioned there. Clearly, uh, after the financial crisis, 2009, 2010, maybe even, we saw big inflows to the CTA space or the systematic strategies, let's call them that, because of a great 2008 and everybody realizing that, you know, hedge funds maybe weren't so hedged. Now, I have a feeling that 2015 and maybe 2016, we could see a similar thing happening where we saw or where we see a lot of assets coming back into this space because of performance. But we learned that the assets that came in after the last crisis was not sustainable. They basically disappeared almost as quickly as they came in when they realized that maybe they didn't quite understand the strategy or maybe, you know, it was a bit disappointing. So how do we as an industry and how do you as a manager, how do we avoid a repeat of the same, you know, very unstable um, AUM in and out uh, that we saw, um, you know, a couple of years ago? Well, I think we've got to style ourselves in 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 a in a, a, a coherent, sober, sensible way. Um, again, there's a lot of people who do believe that the CTA community, for example, are sort of wild guys from Chicago who scream and yell, and then you've got the other end. They're just a room full of PhDs who've never even seen a soybean, <laughs> uh, and, and somewhere in between that. Um, we've got to style ourselves as a as a. You, you look at the the the, the ultimate, of course, is um, is is Winton and uh, AHL to an extent, and and people like that have done ferociously well at being taken seriously. Sure. And um, one of the problems that you're you you have with our kind of industry is that the cost of entry is about zero. So if it is discovered that allocations are being made to CTAs, you are going to witness a giddying rise in the number of CTA registrations. Because why wouldn't you take a punt with somebody else's money and keep 20% of whatever's made? Um, and you'll see that, I think, from the big firms. In the past, it's been little guys, a couple of two or three guys get together with a computer program and say, yeah, we can trade. Whatever it is, some 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 futures program, but you may well see it this time from the larger firms, without naming names, the larger mutual fund type firms. Sure. And the reason for that is is that they also know that the game is up with traditional buy and hold, long only fixed income and equity strategies, and uh, they are paid on assets under management just like we are, and as a percentage are 
payment for assets under management tends to be higher. They are nothing if not marketing organizations. I mean, the fact that they, the first thing they'll tell you about themselves is how much money they have under management. Well, that speaks to primarily, in my view at least, the efficiency and the expertise of the marketing department, not necessarily of the investment management department. Um, so if they turn their marketing into onto a, a product such as ours, the quote-unquote, or as they will sell them, alternative investments, then they will inevitably raise a lot of money. There is a danger to that, not only because uh, good people who've been doing this for a long time with some tr- real understanding may well get squeezed out, um, but also because, as I mentioned before, I think, markets take on the personalities of the participants. And if this quote-unquote, yet again, another wave of money from big firms arrives in the markets, that could have a disruptive effect. And these people are not, I would maintain, expert. They are not um, experienced, no matter what they may may say. You can't take a guy off the the equity derivatives desk and say, John, today you're a CTA. Mm. Go to it, boys. Um, If that happens, I think that could be a a bad thing for our industry. And the other bad thing for it, of course, is that it would um, place pressure on fees. Now, And fees are something that we, do, we generally, as an industry, try not to talk about. But when these big boys come in, the first thing they're going to do, because of the economies of scale, is put pressure on fees. And that will have a detrimental effect on smaller managers who can't who can't stay in business with uh, small amounts of, of assets if they're flowing off to the bigger firms. Um, and so, in other words, they'll buy business, uh, which I guess is, 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 is fair enough, but only if they're operate, offering the same high level of experience sure. and expertise, which personally, just a personal view, I would question that they're able to do. Sure. No, I think you're right. And I think also, I mean, I guess it, it probably will translate into a lot of these beta replication type, you know, we can do trend following yeah. for nothing type. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we're already seeing it. I, I mean, I remember somebody saying years ago, you know, if Mercedes make a very fine car, which we, we all assume that they do, um, that's a wonderful thing. And Mercedes will sell a lot of those cars. But it doesn't necessarily imply that there's an attendant increase in the number of qualified Mercedes um, mechanics. Sure. So sooner or later, you're going to be seeing some very fine, shiny cars broken down at the side of the road. Yeah. And that this is not something that's specific to our business. It's specific to all businesses. It's called supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm almost done uh, for today. But before we uh, we leave it, I just want to ask you if there's anything that you want to bring up, anything that you want to add from uh, sort of the 2014 looking into 2015 that you think would be useful to uh, just touch upon? Um, yes, I do, do believe there's going to be an increase in volatility. Okay. I do believe that the dam will break. Um, I do believe that for us and for uh, others who do what we do, and indeed the alternative industry, specifically the CTA industry in general, this will be a very positive thing. Um, and uh, if uh, investors can uh, concentrate um, and, and learn how to truly interpret a track record and what's uh, the underlying activities beneath that track record, um, they will profit quite handsomely from, from 2015. Sure. 
Final question, Chris, and you know I always come up with something a little bit weird at the end, so uh, I'm going to try with this one. And it's very simple, actually. If there was something you could wish for for the new year, what, what would that be? What would I wish for? I would wish for the return of the carry trade. <laughs> nice and simple, right? Yep. Anyway, unfortunately, Chris, our time is up today for, for this very short uh, conversation. I do want to thank you again for being on the podcast, for sharing your insights. I wish you and your family and your firm the very best for the coming year. And I look forward to catching up later on in 2015. Neil, it's always a pleasure for, to, to speak to you and to, to speak to your listeners. And I do appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.